0: There is a bong in Gilead.
1: Of David contend O Lord with those who contend with me fight against those who fight against me take hold of shield and buckler and rise for my help draw the spear and javelin against my pursuers say to my soul I am your salvation let them be put to shame and dishonor who seek after my life let them be turned back and disappointed Who devise evil against me? Let them be like chaff before the wind, with the angel of the Lord driving them away. Let their way be dark and slippery, with the angel of the Lord pursuing them. For without cause they hid their net for me. Without cause they dug a pit for my life. Let destruction come upon him who does not know it. And let the net that he hid ensnare him. Let him fall into it to his destruction. Then my soul will rejoice in the Lord, exulting in his salvation. All my bones shall say, O Lord, who is like you? Delivering the poor from him who is too strong for him. The poor and needy from him who robs him. Malicious witnesses rise up. They ask me of things that I do not know. They repay me evil for good. My soul is bereft. But I, when they are sick, I wore sackcloth. I afflicted myself with fasting. I prayed with head bowed on my chest. I went about as though I grieved for my friend or my brother. As one who laments his mother, I bowed down in mourning. But at my stumbling, they rejoiced and gathered. They gathered together against me. Wretches whom I did not know tore at me without ceasing. Like profane mockers at a feast, they gnash at me with their teeth. How long, O Lord, will you look on? Rescue me from their destruction, my precious life from the lions. I will thank you in the great congregation. In the mighty throng, I will praise you. Let not those rejoice over me who are wrongfully my foes, and let not those wink the eyes who hate me without cause, for they do not speak peace, but against those who are quiet in the land. They devise words of deceit. They open wide their mouths against me. They say, Aha, Aha, our eyes have seen it. You have seen, O Lord, be not silent. O Lord, be not far from me. Awake and rouse yourself for my vindication, for my cause, my God and my Lord. Vindicate me, O Lord, my God, according to your righteousness, and let them not rejoice over me. Let them not say in their hearts, Aha, our hearts desire. Let them not say, we have swallowed him up. Let them be put to shame and disappointed altogether, who rejoice at my calamity. Let them be clothed with shame and dishonor, who magnify themselves against me. Let those who delight in my righteousness shout for joy and be glad, and say evermore, great is the Lord, who delights in the welfare of his servant. Then my tongue shall tell of your righteousness and of your praise all the day long. Psalm 35, ESV.
2: Hello and welcome to the Balm in Gilead podcast. I'm your host, Grant Baker, and sitting across the countries from us are uh, Justin and uh, Brian Jemerson.
1: Which countries are those?
2: Uh, Well, I mean, just the one, but there's several states within those. And I'm coming from the great state of Oklahoma. Ah, uh, we have Justin in the great state of Georgia, and Jefferson in the pretty great state of Missouri.
3: Yeah, we're uh, pretty great.
2: Next to a very great state of Kansas, and it's very great because that's where my wife is born. Yeah, yeah.
1: You, know see, else you can't
2: argue. You can't argue,
1: huh? You know, else, you know who else is from Kansas?
2: I sense a joke coming.
1: There's not a joke. Oh, poor Bishop Hooper. They're from Kansas.
2: Actually, uh, yeah. um, They are from, yeah, the northern part of Kansas City area there. Um, Nelson Atkins Museum. Uh, Next time we're up there, it would be fun to meet up. Call me. So, that was to our friends. Poor Bishop Pooper. Speaking of which, we have a new thing this week. We have a corporate sponsor. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, we have hit the big time. Here to tell you all about it, Justin.
4: This podcast is sponsored by daudio.com, a website full of free online audio recording and editing tools. Check out DAWDIO.com today. Fantastic. And how much is Daudio paying us, Justin? Uh, it is not paying. Anything at all because it's very very new.
1: So Dadio is the brainchild of my brainchild, Justin, and <laughs> so it is my brain grandchild, if you will. <laughs> that was that was my best David impersonation, quoting The Office, and seeing if anyone notices.
2: I didn't notice. It's been a while, man.
4: Yeah, same here. Yeah.
2: Uh, so anyway, uh, we have here for you today uh, quite a show. Oh, uh, We're going to get started in just a minute, but what have you guys been listening to over the last uh, week or two?
1: Well, over the last week or two, I have done a whole lot of listening to music, because unlike you and all of your meetings constantly this week, I was I on vacation. Sweet. And so... I wonder why you were vac-
2: texting so often. <laughs> yes. I was like, is yes, he doing was, this at work?
1: No. I was texting you from Table Rock Lake,
2: <laughs> and... uh the beautiful yep. Table Rock Lake.
1: The beautiful Table Rock Lake where we went swimming in a local swimming hole and saw a water moccasin and left. What? And drove thirty minutes to the to the beach. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's scary. Yeah, kinda kinda was doing this thing and it went under the water and didn't come back up. Get
2: me out of there.
1: That's what we did. And then we drove thirty minutes to the beach. Because even though it's four miles as the crow flies, it's all the way around the lake. <laughs> so Yes. Um yeah, did so, you no. Go we to Silver Dollar City. We did not because <gasps> we we would have to pay for all of my kids to go and only two of them to be able to do anything. And it's a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And so
2: he's rubbing at his some his point, fingers together.
1: Yes, and um, the money, those money, money. See. Yeah, you can hear it. And uh, so at some point in the future. We'll get some of our friends from Oklahoma City to meet us in Branson and we'll do Silver Dollar City. But it's probably going to be when our youngest is old enough to do something.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Totally get it. Totally get it. My my folks actually have been with us this past week and they're headed there to Branson um, on Monday, actually. So they're going to be up there, go to Silver Dollar City, spend some time. I think my dad has some sort of work thing he needs to do and yeah, it'll be great.
1: And and so the uh, the album that we listened to quite a bit in the road was an album called Foreign Made by a band you may have heard of called Poor Bishop Hooper.
2: I have. Uh,
1: it was their I think it was their first full album that they put together, okay. and it is it is probably I would say either in my top five or top three favorite albums of all time. Um. It's it is just so stinking good. Uh, tracks that really stick out to me. Uh, one of them is called uh, A "Final Fire," and then another is called "A Ghost to Guide You." Uh, the opening lines, like the first verse of "A Ghost to Guide You," mm-hmm. is just this beautifully written retelling of the of one of the parables Jesus said about the man who had the insurmountable debt and was forgiven. And then he went to the guy that owed him very little and, and made him pay. Um, it's just very, very beautifully written, e- even in a way that makes it even more understandable. It's just, it's so good. Um, so we listened to a lot of that plus every Psalm, you know, you know, cause you got oh, yeah. it. And absolutely. And in that, so uh, a couple other really good things that uh, we listened to, uh, thief to King, um, oh, great High Priest is the name of his album, and it's really good. I, I've been listening through through that one. It's it's very. Um, I, I would say it reminds me a lot of Solos, um, especially their like their Church Songs album, um, which is only three songs, but it's still uh, and it reminds me a lot of you know like classic Gettys as well as far as the subject matter, of the songs and then uh spotify put me onto a band called as isaac and they are kind of in the middle of a project uh, i guess it's called the exodus project they have um two i think eps out and then they're kind of releasing track at a time um and they're they're really interesting uh, they're not necessarily my favorite uh but they're really really interesting songs so i'm kind of giving them an extra listen as i as they put out some stuff um I'm also going to throw out a few songs that Spotify said you'll like this. And um, they're
4: always right. Some of them,
1: they're always right, right? Like Psalm 151 by Jay Lind. Um, I thought there song. were only
2: 150 Psalms.
1: Yeah. So I listened to this song. And so the, the cover art, first of all, for this song, it looks like a goat uh, on the edge of a volcano. And it's like got this red sky and it's really kind of just weird looking. Um, also, like if you if you listen through Spotify on the app, sometimes if you click into a song, there'll be like a little bit of animation or like a short like video clips and stuff. Yeah, um, the, the animation was like animated skulls and it was weird. And there's nothing in the song that really stuck out at me as like, this is wrong, but I don't know the way it was produced and the way that his like whatever filter was over his voice. I don't know. I just felt really, I I felt really weird listening to it. So I I only listened to that one once, and then I, I don't think I'm gonna check that one out again. Um, uh, It was yeah, weird. That,
2: looking him up, uh, <laughs> Jay Lind or something. Anyway, yeah, I uh, that song Psalm 151, quote unquote. Uh, has like a thousand two hundred and thirteen listens. It's not even. I mean, he's got other songs on there that are way more listened to. Yeah, um, it probably just picked it up because you were listening to other songs.
1: Yeah, that's probably that's so. And and so my thought was, well, maybe this will be like what maybe what he's saying, kind of like Acts twenty nine. You know, there's twenty eight chapters in Acts, but Acts twenty nine mm-hmm. is kind of like the continuation of the sure. of the church and and the, and the movement of the church. And that makes sense. And so maybe it's like. Maybe it is his attempt at writing a psalm-like psalm. And so he just called it 151. And there's no like, psalm-like language at all in this song. Like It's just a song. Like I, don't even, yeah. I couldn't even really grasp what he was trying to say in the song. It was, it was weird. Um, and then uh, two other songs that popped up. Um, one of them is titled, Worship is Our Weapon, and then in parentheses, Spontaneous. By Sean Fucht, F E U C H T, Fucht, I don't know. Uh, this guy looks like he's Bethel friendly. Uh, just looking, looking him up. Uh, he's Spontaneous been on a couple. Part Bethel, gives
2: that away. I
1: mean, yeah, he's been on a couple of Bethel albums, but I think I don't know that he's like one of their guys or if he's just been featured. But um, but yeah, worship is our weapon. Spontaneous is it's, it? Just says it all. And then you click into it and he's the first half of the song is basically orange County is a depression free zone. We are a depression free zone. And it's weird. It's like, what does that have to do with anything? And he's like, like David playing for Saul, we are a depression free zone. It's like, well, at least he tried to use scripture. And then the last half of the song is just a chanting over and over again of worship is our weapon. Worship is our weapon. And uh, it was just, it was it was spontaneous. It was spontaneous. That's all I can say.
4: So now, if a song was really spontaneous, like shouldn't it play something different? Like every time you try to play it,
1: <laughs> like you, you know, don't know which, you yeah. don't know which version you're getting.
4: Right? Because is it really spontaneous?
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's been recorded. Uh, it
2: kind of ruined that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and then another song. So like the next. Day, it gave me like another on my daily listens. It gave me um, Praise as a Weapon by Mark and Sarah Tillman. Uh, I couldn't find much about them just on Spotify, but uh, this song it used more scripture uh in the song, but still, like, they don't back up praise as a weapon at all as far as using scripture. Um, but it's just it's just weird, especially since. If if you've listened to uh, one of the more recent episodes of of if songs could if could deliver a powerful self motivating message, yeah. um, you know this this isn't an original it's not an original concept. Um, in in the song of a Hallelujah," they have you know our worship is a melody, or, or no our our uh, weapon is a melody. Sorry, our weapon is a melody, and it's it's just weird. And so I'm going to get more into that later. So I'm going to put a pin in that and I'm going to hand the floor over to Grant. Well, I just want to
2: say remember when Paul said that uh, the armor of God is, you know, the shield and the breastplate and a weapon of our melody and our praise and our worship. Do you remember I, I, don't <laughs> I
1: remember that. I, I do remember when Hannah Kerr said uh faith is the shield his love is the armor.
2: Wow. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that's uh that's an actual song, folks, and that's why this podcast it is. exists. It is <laughs> to keep you from listening to music like that. Who, Who boy, what did I listen to? Um, well, some things, uh obviously more Henry Hafner, which reminds me, if you haven't already, please uh get and in And you haven't. <laughs> I was gonna kind of keep that on the DL. Um, we are looking for people to submit a review of our podcast on their podcast player of choice, especially if it is Apple Podcasts, and then send us an email at there is at to be entered to win a CD of or a digital download or even. A cassette tape of uh, Yeah,
1: and in, and in and fact and in, in fact we're gonna pause this recording right now and we're just gonna stop it that you're not gonna hear any more of us until you do this. You have to go right now to Apple Podcasts, leave us a review, then email us at thereis at bombcast.com and we will email you the rest of this episode.
0: There is a bomb. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Whew.
2: Okay, I mean, we had all these. No, but, but
1: we could, but we could do it that easy. Just know, just know, <laughs> it's that easy.
2: <laughs> well, anyway, we 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 do appreciate you all, um, all of you listeners out there, and uh, we're very excited to uh, give you know be able to to give this away uh, from one of our very generous listeners who has offered to sponsor it for us. So. Uh, Thank you very much to them. And yeah, Henry Hafner, uh, very excited uh, listening to him. Just, he's such a talented musician and I, I wanted to call out, he has a YouTube channel as well. Um, During my family's weekly YouTube night on Fridays, uh, I actually put one of those in there and it was, yeah, it's really good stuff. Um, He's just an amazing violist, violinist, uh, songwriter, you know, things like that. So please do listen. Um, Something else that I've been listening to is somebody called Poor Bishop Hooper, which <laughs> mm. <laughs> so I've been listening to a lot of instrumentals, uh, and Brian, thank you for sending me this. I yeah. had forgotten that yeah. they have whole albums full of instrumentals based on their Psalms kind of collection, right?
1: Yeah, they had just released the song, the book two instrumentals uh, that week, and so I actually waited for them to post it so that I could text it to you because I knew that you would, you'd yeah. appreciate
2: it. Yeah, absolutely. I kind of added it to a little playlist uh, that I've been sort of putting together of just you know good instrumental vibe background type stuff, um, which helps me work better. I think I feel it does.
1: Uh, i I listen I listen, yeah. I listen to instrumental music at work.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes, you do. Well, <laughs> Muzak. Muzak. Christian Muzak.
1: CCM.
3: Yes. Yes Contemporary
2: Christian Muzak. Speaking of contemporary Christian Muzak, do you want to know who's number one on the Hot Songs uh, Billboard? Sure. Crowder. Good God Almighty. Wow.
1: Where did you say? Number two. Number two. Number two. Yeah.
3: Yeah, So So they fell
2: out after last week. Obviously. Um, Lauren will be back in her, accustomed, you know, number one spot next week. But whew, tell you what, that song, 146 weeks. That's just ridiculous to me,
1: but it's, 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 it's more than gross.
2: Hey, your friend Zach Williams though, is at number four. So that's kind of exciting. nice. Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah. Uh, did, did you guys get that, uh, that other playlist that I sent you? The, uh, so Spotify saw fit to send me a, um, a playlist of all music that Jonathan Smith wrote. Really? And Jonathan, Jonathan Smith is one of the co-writers to, um, um, to Chainbreaker. And he's a guy I went to high school with. And so I just, it's kind of weird just to be like, yeah, I know that guy.
3: No, I, I went to
1: a very small high school with him. Like very small.
2: That's awesome.
1: So, he know,
3: yeah,
2: yeah, I'm sure he knows you though. I mean, like he do does, it. yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. That's not like telling my wife that I'm sure somebody knew her in high school and her school was larger than the college we went to. But, yeah, no, um, I,
1: I know every single person who is in my high school, yeah, all 50 of them, give
2: or take. <laughs> uh, speaking of songs by people we know, Spencer Parsons released a new uh Ooh, song this week, he did. So if you haven't, go Psalm, check that out. Psalm twenty eight. Yes, it's so, on the playlist. Yeah. Um. Did we publish that yet? Uh, like,
1: it's you know, it's on the the and Gilead. It? It's on the Gilead Salter playlist.
2: Oh, I see. Okay, nice. Very cool. Yeah. Cool. Uh,
1: as far as so, we've kind of hinted at this. Uh, what I would like to do. And we haven't talked a whole lot about it is as we are doing this more, this new segment of what we're listening to, we're going to be putting some songs together on a playlist. And I think we're going to try to keep it updated like once or twice a month. Um, to where we, we are going to have a playlist where we're throwing a bunch of stuff together. And then about every time we release an episode or two, we will put together a, a songs from that playlist and we're going to make it public to you guys. We'll send a link in the in the episode descriptions. We'll, we might actually keep it as one playlist and then update it uh, every other week or so. And, uh, and we will encourage you to share it, but we don't have it yet. So don't share it yet because it doesn't exist yet.
2: <laughs> one day.
1: Stay tuned. One day.
2: Uh, and that's just been a lot of fun. Yeah, I love listening to what other people are listening to. I think I mentioned this before, but I don't you know, I don't typically listen to the same song a lot of times uh, necessarily. Um, and I really like uh, that kind of wide variety personally. So love to hear what everybody else has taken on. And one of those is Nathan Drake and his Reawaken Hymns albums. Justin, did you yeah. sing this one or is that you, Brent? Uh, Bri- it was oh, me. Brent? Brian.
1: Yeah. yeah it was-
2: <laughs> I work with Brent. He's a good friend of mine. Um, he'll nice. be thrilled that I mentioned him on the
1: podcast. Hey Brent. He doesn't, he doesn't care. <laughs> I work with Brett and he doesn't care either. Okay.
2: <laughs> anyway. Uh, yeah. So Nathan Drake, how did you find him?
1: Uh, just one of those Spotify said, check okay. this album out. Huh. So they they are actually, they have sent me a lot of really good stuff over the weeks and, good. uh, it's not years yet. I'm not quite to the years months over the months. Over and, the months. uh, they, they send me some really, really terrible stuff, but then they send me some really good stuff. So I just have to keep my eyes out for it. Um, and yeah, so that was, that was one of them. I saw it and it's uh, it's a, like really simple acoustic guitar and vocals versions of hymns, but they're done really, really well.
2: Very cool. Very cool. Um, the last uh, person I've been listening to a lot is Marcus Warner. Uh, Again, I had to throw a curveball in there. He's a very young composer, actually, like early 20s, I want to say. But he's written some really epic stuff. So check him out. Marcus Warner on uh, Spotify. And uh, I don't know. I think he just writes some good music. So all instrumental, Uh, classically video game type music, epic soundtrack, that sort of thing. Anyway, If Elephants Could Fly, my favorite song of his. It's great.
4: So what, are, uh, what about you, Justin? What are you uh, listening to these days? Yeah, so Brian's always recommending stuff throughout the week. <laughs> and uh, he does a really good job of that. But he reminded me of Norton Hall Band, um, who has also put out a new album called Morning by Morning.
0: Yeah. And so I've
4: been checking that out. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's really good. They finally put together a... Uh, uh, versions of a couple of hymns that I've really wanted to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them being the church's one foundation. Uh,
1: yeah. That's a song that we used to do at my church in Arkansas, the the church plant. And, uh, and we really, really enjoyed singing that one. So that was like the first time that ever sang it with the actual tune. And uh, yeah, I, I like that song a lot.
4: Yeah. That's a really good one. And, uh, of course, I'm still listening to My Soul Among Lions, um, Always and Forever. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I finally got around to recording a new If Songs Could Preach. And so I listed out 21 of my favorite songs right now. uh, It's kind of to recommend to to folks. Um, So go and check that out.
1: I will give you, I will give a spoiler that song number 21 is one you've all heard before, hopefully multiple times. And if you haven't shame, um, uh, yeah, so I really good. It does. It's really, really stinking. Does it just like Um, really
2: lift you up or
1: it does lovingly. So, um, anyway, uh, yeah, you, you've actually challenged me. I, I'm, I'm want to put together a list of 21 songs as well. Except for my challenge is going to be 21 non Psalm related songs. Wow. Whoa! Because okay. All right. that's that'll be a lot more of a challenge for me because I've been almost exclusively listening to Psalms, almost uh, exclusively, uh, exclusively. Uh, what? Um, but, uh, as far as my soul among lions, um, yeah. you should at least like really die hard, listen to them for another like month or so. Um, at least until we have them on the show. Can you say that again? What? It's happening. We're having them on the show. So not, not the next episode,
4: Okay.
1: but the next episode. How
2: many sleeps is that?
1: It's a fortnight. A
2: fortnight's worth. Okay. All right. Yeah. Tell your kids.
1: Um, oddly enough, I actually, I actually accidentally almost double booked the episode uh, with two different guests. Wait, what? Uh, yeah. So, so here's the story. I, uh, okay. I reached out to Philip from my soul among lions and I said, Hey, we, we would love to have you on the show. And he said, I, I'll have some time after Easter. And so then Easter came and went and I sent him another email and nothing. I was like, oh man, he's like, he's gonna flake away on me. So I started talking <laughs> to this other guy by the name of Henry Hafner. And yeah. I said, Hey, either either the twelfth or the twenty-sixth would be a great time. And and then after I sent that, my soulman line said, I really can only do one day and it's gonna be the twenty-sixth. And then Henry got back to me and said, I can't do the twelfth, but I'd love to be on the twenty sixth. And I was like, <laughs> So anyway, for all of you listening, I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. I'm sorry. No, um, no, Henry, is, Henry was great. He's, uh, he actually can't be on the 12th because his wife is due. What? That's awesome. Yeah, it is I awesome. I guess that's a decent It is. So it is. <laughs> and, and, and hopefully I haven't broken the news to anyone because, you know, that's really close. So people should know. Um, so anyway, as it is. The 26th, so as we record. So it won't release until like the 29th, 30th, something along those lines. Um, so not this episode, not the next episode, but the next. We'll have My Soul Among Lions. And then the next one, we're going to have Solos. And then the what? next one, Wait. we're going to have Henry Hafner on the show. Oh, my word. So we're going to have three interviews back to back to back. So,
4: I yeah, the next two episodes...
1: Next two episodes, we're going to get as much in as we can. And then we're going to have a month and a half break from our, uh, from kind of our, our outline. And then we'll probably have a review episode and then jump back in. So, ah,
2: this is the, this is the interesting stuff right here. I mean, like, it is. this is so cool. Um, yeah. I can't wait to uh, talk with them all about their, uh,
1: about the work. This is going to be great. And, de- and depending on bedtimes, Next episode, we might have a special guest on as well to talk about poetic device such as imagery and lineation and stuff like that and, and poetry, Did she which by I'm chance... not very good at. Whoa. She by chance might be holding a might baby. Be...
2: Okay. All right.
1: That baby might look a lot like me. <laughs> so anyway. I'm
2: hoping you know this person. All right. Yes. Okay. All anyway.
1: Right. Yeah. So that, that's that exciting. might, might happen next episode. So lots of, lots of fun stuff had in our way. Yeah. That's very cool. Very
2: cool. So, yeah. um, that all starts happening. Not next episode, but the episode after that.
1: Well, my wife might be on next episode and okay. then, and then the, and then so like, really the like actual people I don't know
2: in a row is what you're saying.
1: Very potentially. Okay. Very potentially.
2: Tell your kids, tell your family, uh, and tell your friends because... uh, Yes.
1: And have them all leave us an Apple iTunes review or Apple podcast review, however antiquated you may be, and then email (laughs) us and let us know. And then you might get a a free cassette tape out of the deal.
2: Uh, Or a CD or a MP3, you know, thing. Yeah. I said might. Yeah, yeah, well, I mean, it's up to you. So here's the thing. Uh, if you want to chat with us uh, chat with us on the show, um, you can join our Slack channel, which is uh, slack.techreformation.com. Go there, drop your email address, join our Balm and Gilead channel. Uh, if you'd prefer to email us, uh, email us at there is at balmcast.com. And Preferably after you left reviews. an Apple, yeah. an Apple podcast yeah. review. Absolutely. So, um, yeah.
1: Where it, else could uh, they could they find some of us, Justin?
4: <laughs> to remember some of you.
2: Oh, that, yes, that thing.
4: Right, right, yeah. So uh, we have the Sound and Worship Facebook group called Sound and Worship Worship Music Discussions. Uh, there's a lot of good folks over in that group discussing all sorts of worship music topics um uh, so as long as you stay nice in there you're welcome to to come and join and um yeah come on over
2: so far you've let me stay so that's good and so far i still don't
1: have a facebook well
4: i don't blame you so i'm as
1: so, I, I social media distance still so that's probably a good idea <laughs> probably a good thing i don't yes yeah yeah so uh speaking of social media segue um let's get into the icebreaker uh this is something i'm calling i'm calling it the great Awakening, and i'm sure i'm not the first person <laughs> who has come up with this name because one it makes sense two it's super low-hanging fruit and three everyone start using this phrase the great Awakening, because that is what's going on all around us will there, what there be is a the second
2: great, great Awakening?
1: I sure hope not. It'll probably be something else with a better name. But um, the Great Awakening is what I'm calling uh, this. um, It's a very religious movement uh, that has multiple waves. Some of it is just the general left-wing liberalism that's that's going on Mm. where people say that white people can't post memes of black people anymore because it's digital black facing uh which you know mm-hmm. all sorts of just fun just fun it's just it's uh it's, it's just ridiculous um and everyone knows it's ridiculous but people are pretending it's not you know for the sake of the great awakening, but the particular branch that i want to talk about specifically is the uh, the progressive christianity uh so there and there's a couple different branches even within that. So, there's this idea of deconversions, okay. uh, where, pe- where people are uh, becoming quote unquote exvangelicals, um, or just deconverts or other just different terminology that's being used, but where people are deconstructing the religion and building something else out. Um, we've talked about this quite a bit, uh. Dustin Kendrew is a part of this group. Uh, Marty Sampson uh, was a part of this group, as well as Joshua Harris and Kevin Max. Uh, mm. So if you've been paying attention, if you've been paying attention, Kevin Max came forward the this this past couple of weeks, uh, declaring himself to be an ex-evangelical. Uh, he basically said, you know, thank you all for welcoming me to, to this group, but, I've been here way longer than anyone else. I'm the, I'm the OG as far as ex evangelicals go. I've always been the outcast. I've always this, I've always that, you know, and it's, it's just one. It's sad. It's, it is. It's it's, it's always sad to see someone yeah. coming, coming forward as this. It's always sad. Um, but as a lot of people have said, it's not been like crazy surprising with him. And then the timing of it all as well. I think he's coming out He's he, started a new band and is releasing their first album. So, you know, uh, it's it all, it's just all sad. In the um, words
2: of one Twitter uh, commenter, they replied with, Oh, did the money run out when he announced that he was an ex evangelical? Too often it does.
1: Yeah. And, uh, it's just, it's, it's been really weird. Um, and, I actually uh, pulled up an old quote of my own that I'm going to play. So this this should sound familiar. This came from our third episode. So this is way back November of 2019. Um, And this was right after Marty Sampson and, uh, and Joshua Harris deconverted And this is this is what I said. So I'm going to play some of this. And there was something else that I I wanted to say about deconversions. This is probably the uh, wrap up this particular section. And at the risk of sounding incredibly cold and uh, and just at the risk of offending people, I just got to kill right. I kind of hope that we see more deconversion stories in the future um I, and i hope that we see them um uh, quickly i hope that they are public uh, and the reason why is because these people that are deconverting aren't actually christians right now and many of them are writing the music that we are currently singing in church and i would just rather anyone who is not actually a christian figure that out and stop writing the words that true Christians are trying to use to praise their God and, uh, and that and help open the eyes of the church to see just how far it has gone. Um, Now, more than that, I hope to see true conversions from within these songwriting communities. Like what if the Marty Sampson narrative was instead of deconverting, what if he was like, guys, I, I, have been so convicted by the Holy Spirit, I realize I am not a Christian and I desperately want to be. And what if he was able to have a genuine conversion experience from within, you know, the Christian community? And that opens the eyes of the people to say, wow, there are people that aren't Christians. We need to be more vigilant and we need to have, you know, better discipleship so that we can, you know, keep people like him from writing music that we're singing but also we can help people like him to see that they need jesus and to help them through their walk um i I hope far and above to see any of those type of stories but um i am i I am excited to hear conversion stories from outside of the faith like I just kind of wanted to I wanted to talk about that for for a little bit. So that that episode came out I believe November early November, November 4th of 2019. Uh we recorded it you know late uh late October of of 2014 or 2019, sorry. And um so this has been going on for you know a good 18 months that uh in, in, really probably even longer than that. But, you know, 18 months ago, I said, you know, I hope that we see more, um, more deconversions and, and I hope that they are public and I hope that, that they do this. And it's because we, we need to be seeing, Hey, there are people in the church that aren't, that aren't writing, uh, that are writing music that aren't actually Christians. And, and that's, that's a big deal. um, and that's, that's part of this, this great awakening is people are saying, uh, I'm fine with it. Like people are like, oh, that's fine. You know, I, I actually think it's great that he's walking away because, you know, I'm walking away too. And I'm okay with that. And, and I, I would welcome Kevin Max at, at, my, at my church. I would even want him to write music because that's where I am. You know, there are I, I'm hearing more and more about that going on. And it has just been, it's just been—it's that has been really. Um, it's just been really, really sad.
2: Yeah, it really has. I, when anyone walks away from the faith, obviously that's uh, you know heartbreaking. But at the same time, kind of like what you said in that clip, there, uh, at least they're not pretending that they're writing music for the church. Yeah, uh, we're getting these people out of believing that they're Christians and. That's something that we kind of talked about at the beginning of the pandemic, too, is is getting out a lot of these people who who think they're Christians, but when it comes right down to it, would rather play golf on Sunday or whatever than, you know, worship the Lord. So at least those people are being removed and, you know, removing themselves so that, uh, you know, people aren't being led astray so much uh, anymore. Um, maybe one of the side benefits of a uh, difficult, you know, a difficult time like we've gone through in the past year.
4: Yeah. I, yeah, I mean. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I was just going to say, um, you know, I think we were chatting about this earlier this week. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was just, we we're talking about how theology, uh, you know, if that were to be taught correctly and and people would stop acting like, you know, that's just something that that arrogant Calvinists do or something like that, you know, um, we could avoid a lot of this. And, and like you were saying earlier, Brian, too, about how um, you, you we hope to see more, uh, more of these stories coming out because uh, it would be better for people to, to know where actually, where people actually stand um, as opposed to thinking they're Christians and, and having these people write worship music for us, um, it's just something that needs to stop
1: yeah and, uh, and speaking of people that are writing worship music uh, mentioned earlier in this episode uh, oh, strange trend you, so, so if you hear something in a song once it's off it's just you know that may just be a poorly written song you hear it twice and it's like that's, that's something I need to keep my eye on you hear it a third time that's a trend so three separate songs that have come across my plate that use this idea of you know the, the worship is a melody, my my worship is a weapon or me- sorry, I said it again, my weapon is a melody, um, worship is my weapon, praise is a weapon. Um, That's a really, really strange vein of theology. Um, you know, worship should be should be done in in extreme humility uh that that absolutely needs to be the posture of worship is first and foremost humility um you know but we can praise we can lament you know we can we can worship god multiple uh different emotions but we can but we are worshiping him from a place of from this understanding of he is the sovereign god of the universe he has chosen us to be in him uh not by any of our merit, but just because he is God. And, and, and that should drive us to the most beautiful of worship and the most genuine of worship. And it's from a place of unarmed humility. And so to say that my worship of God is a weapon, um, it's, it's almost, it almost reminds me of like something out of Frank Peretti, where you know um you know that spiritual warfare you know casting out demons fighting dragons all that all that stuff very very dispensational very very um you know just not it's not grounded in scripture at all um as i've mentioned in the past you know the weapon the only weapon in the armor of god is the is the word of god um and not not the 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 not the melody not the music which let's be honest when they say my worship is a weapon they're talking about the music uh, when they say my praise is a weapon they're talking about the music and so this idea of music being a weapon that's a really really weird vein of theology
4: right and and that makes me think about like country music i don't know if you guys listen to country music a lot um, You know, good for you if you don't. But, uh, you know, you'll have country music songs where everyone's writing about a certain thing. Like, um, you know, people be writing about Backroads or or Georgia Clay or something like that. And and right now, it's uh, that everyone's weapon is a melody. Is this the new Rising from the Ashes? It could be. Just pay
1: attention to the Phoenix.
2: You know, um, I find it interesting. I'm sorry. I looked up the Hot Country 100 on Billboard. Um, it it does seem like there is definitely a um, uh, vibe of eternity going on right now. Forever After All by Luke Combs is number one. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. And then, I don't know. It feels very much like breaking up was easy in the nineties, number four, Famous Friends, Made for You, Settling Down Nobody. Oh, here we go. Settling down nobody almost maybes.
1: So how many Carrie Underwood songs are in the top hundred Christian songs now?
2: Oh, um, yeah, I don't
1: don't I'll, actually I'll look, look
2: it up. up. Okay, all right.
1: I'll look quite um, a few though. Quite a few. So uh so I got a really weird email i've mentioned before i'm subscribed to ccli's newsletter for some reason and so i got this email this past week it says worship innovators conference learn how to implement new technology in your church service from top innovators and like-minded worship leaders hear from experts on how to take worship leading to the next level with practical strategies, get a free ticket to the Worship Innovators Conference by using the promo code in the benefits section of your CCLI profile. Um, I believe that I sent that to you guys with the, uh, with the message of Worship Innovators reminds me of Leviticus 10, dot, dot, dot. Um, Leviticus 10 being Nadab in a who worship innovating by putting new. <laughs> New, New incense fire. in there, yeah, um, and uh, so my wife said, my wife was like, "You should go, you should go and and just like <laughs> watch, just watch the fireworks." And I said, "I would only go if I could wear a you know, flame retardant suit." Um, but yeah, no, it's uh it's just that is what CCLI, by the way, is the standard for all churches to to get their CCLI license so that they can play and that they can so they can post the lyrics to the songs without fear of legal ramifications. So CCLI every church in the United States really most of them internationally because that's what the I stands for is tied to CCLI and CCLI is is publishing this to every church become a worship innovator. Here's a free ticket
4: What stood out to me, too, was like taking your worship leading to the next level. Oh, yeah, me too. That's
1: crazy. Um, But that ties to this idea of the great awokening, to me at least, in that uh, I really feel that the music – and the especially just the surface levelness of it the refusing to go deep uh, but also this like catechism aspect of it you know the catechism was taught in the church and it was taught in the home uh, ccm is taught in church and it's taught in the home and so people are learning their theology from ccm and if ccm is pushing worship innovation then that's just it's just planting it's just it's tilling the ground and getting the soil prepared for the awakening. and uh and as i've mentioned before and even in that particular episode or episode three part a if you want to go back and to the deep catalogs and listen to it that was the first time i mentioned john cooper on this show because he had just uh he had just posted that Facebook article where he said the exact same thing is it's the, the worship music that we are teaching, that we are learning in, in our churches that is shallow and doesn't actually teach anything. Uh, that's what's doing this. That's what's doing this. And so that has been, so just like, uh, especially in the second great awakening, you know, you got your Iris Sankey, um, you know, the great Awakening. You know, you have your Christian Stanfill, you have your Marty Sampson, you know, you have, um, you have your Brian Johnson.
2: (laughs) We're waiting for you, uh, with open arms out there. Uh, any other ex evangelicals, you you know, that even that phrase ex evangelical, I I noticed a, a, a couple of different reactions just looking over in, in Twitter. One of which was, huh, like uh, who's this universal Jesus you speak of? Um, another was just sort of the the open armed acceptance of, you know, uh, of this. Oh my goodness, I'm so glad you know you're such a prophet. Uh, that sort of thing. It's terrible. Um, then uh, of course there's one uh, another reaction. Evangelicals are all the same, and then another one said, no, they're not. And it's, but. Yet you do see, they do all seem to go one way, right? I mean, it's not like mm-hmm. you're an ex-evangelical, <sighs> but, oh, I've actually decided to accept a more confessional approach. Um, I mean, they're yeah. but they wouldn't call themselves ex-evangelicals.
1: And here's here's, a, here's the the really crazy thing, is if you look at every uh, every deconstruction story, every mm-hmm. ex-evangelical narrative, Every single one of them starts on the exact same step. The Bible is not inerrant. Mm -hmm. Every single one of them. The very first thing that goes out the window is the inerrancy of scripture. I, I had one of my, one of the guys in my incredibly small class. If my high school was 50 people, my class was seven. And, uh, and so one of my, one of my fellow grads, Um, also went off to college with me at union and, uh, and I remember when I was in seminary, I was talking with him a lot and he, he was really, really struggling with the, with the inerrancy of scripture. And, uh, and he would, he would find the weirdest passages like Paul saying it was cold and that he needed a blanket. He's like, how can you say that that's inerrant? it's like, well, he was cold. He did need a blanket. It's like yeah, but there's no truth statement and it's like there it doesn't it doesn't mean that it's errant. Right. Like what and he and he also struggled with ecclesiastes um and uh, and also the concept of sheol and some other uh, some other things but um mm. but the last that I heard he stopped going to church not because he wasn't a believer anymore but because he but the reason he was going to church in the first place was to pick fights. But his his son, his oldest son, was getting old enough to actually start um, learning at church. And he wanted to pull his son out before his son would learn anything. Odd thing is, his son is named Jonathan Edwards. Um, and one of these days, he will do research on his own into his namesake. And hopefully, that will lead him down the right path. And I actually pray for that. I pray for that. That the naming of his son um, is is his own redemption. Hmm. I do. But, I pray it reforms him. I do too. Um, oddly enough, he was he was very influential in me becoming a Calvinist. Um, so it's it's interesting.
2: Jonathan but Edwards, or or the uh, gentleman you spoke of that you went to school. The,
1: with? the gentleman I spoke of.
2: Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, Jonathan Edwards might come up here uh, if a little bit later when we're talking about emotions, but anyway.
1: what well, we're going to talk about emotions.
2: Well, we're talking about stuff. We're talking about beauty. We're talking, we about, are talking about beauty. You know, we, and we've been kind yes. of on this topic for a little bit now.
1: We have been. Yeah. So uh, the excellence element is where we are and we're really focusing on these ideas of beauty and craft. And so, We talked about, we did a broad bird's eye view of both beauty and craft, but now we're going to dive a little bit deeper into beauty. Um, And I have a disclaimer, swan dive, if you will, and it's going to be a beautiful swan dive. Uh, But I do have a disclaimer. Uh, I said at the beginning of the season that the excellence element is more universal than just like type one music. Um, All music should pursue excellence in beauty and craft. However, for this episode and for some of the more immediate to follow ones, I I plan on focusing more on type one music as examples. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's because I believe that it's easier to see the truths concerning beauty uh, when comparing them to the truth of Scripture. Um, And all other types of music in their pursuit of excellence and beauty, uh, even those only reflecting like the general revelation, they're going to have to branch out from that type one music, uh, reflecting the special revelation. Uh, in short, it's you know, if we believe that this that these are true statements that we're making, if we believe that beauty is it, like there is like genuine beauty, and that that stems from the truth of of the scripture and and the the holiness of God, then um, then that's where we need to begin. We need to begin with scripture, and that's going to really reflect on type one music more than anything but we're going to try to as we examine how this fits with type one and you know some type two music as well we're going to try to see how it trickles out as well so i'm going to i'm going to go through and i'm going to read the uh the beauty portion of the um the beauty portion of the the questionnaire so lyrical beauty and musical beauty Um, Do the lyrics utilize poetic device, uh, form, and mnemonic to grasp for objective beauty, accessibility, memorability, and an appropriate emotional connection? Uh, Musical beauty. Does the music utilize prosody and surprise to grasp for objective beauty, accessibility, memorability, and an appropriate emotional connection? So both of those questions, uh, the second half of the question, it's the same. Objective beauty, accessibility, memorability, and an appropriate emotional connection. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to see uh, on a more general uh, aspect how both the lyrics and the music can grasp for objective beauty, accessibility, memorability, and an appropriate emotional connection. And really, we're going to try to define those those terms. Uh, the first one, especially objective beauty. We spent a lot of time last episode really kind of diving into that. So I'm just going to give a recap. I'm just going to read from some of the manuscript from last episode, kind of close to the end. It said, beauty was a major part of Jewish worship. Every aspect of the tabernacle and temple was dedicated to the standard of beauty because any less for the house of God would have been blasphemy and disobedience. This is later reflected in the beauty of the Psalter, the wisdom literature, the canticles, uh, many of the prophets, and the creeds found in many of the epistles. Uh, Today, we must not settle for what is popular over what is truly beautiful. The sound may be very pleasant and appealing to man, but we must compare the sound with what is generally agreed to be truly beautiful, both in special and in general revelation. We mustn't be fooled by the lipstick on the swine, so to speak
2: yeah so uh, you know I-, I wanted to give a little bit of nuance to this too Where I, I was discussing this with my-, my dad who was a pastor for many years and just kind of like talking with him about the concept of beauty and worship and he mentioned a trip that he had taken to Rome um, a few years ago Rome Georgia?
4: Ago. It's beautiful well, man.
2: He didn't go to see our friend Justin, but uh Rome, Rome in Italy, Rome, and mm. uh obviously the Catholic Church is I, I guess it's fairly strong there. Um yeah. in Rome. Yeah, yeah a little yeah. bit. Yeah. I got ga- he gathered that anyway. But what was interesting was going and looking at this beautiful art, my dad said something interesting. He said that it was the church showing her power. Mm-hmm. whereas true worship is not about our power or the church's power. Our church's power comes in its humility and it's ought to be beauty that points to Christ's greater beauty. Um, so the temple was beautiful because God is beautiful and our worship should be beautiful because God is beautiful, not because we're beautiful, because... Looking at the mug, staring back at me. I mean, well, I mean, judge for yourself. We're all married, thankfully. Anyway, uh, that's really all I wanted to say.
1: Oh, uh, that just reminds me of when Indiana Jones three when they're looking for the Holy Grail, and you know they're in the room with all of the cups, and uh, you know the the Nazi guys like it's this one because it's so beautiful because he is the king, and he dies. Because it was wrong. He chose poorly.
2: Poorly.
1: And so the the true one was the carpenter's cup. But, um, you know, there's there's this idea of, you know, as I said, the lipstick on the swine. You know, you can make something ugly look pretty, Mm -hmm. but that doesn't make it pretty. It doesn't make it beautiful. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I've been to the Sistine Chapel and... And there is quite a bit of beauty there. But when you know that that beauty was paid for by um, what sparked the Reformation, <laughs> uh, you know, when a, a coin in the coffer clings a soul from Purgatory, from Purgatory Springs, you know, it's yeah, yeah. This, this idea of, you know, they, they basically, they prayed, the church prayed on not, not pure AY, P-R-E-Y, they prayed on the poorest of the poor mm-hmm. and basically fooled them into giving them their money promising them stuff that they had absolutely no ability or right to to say so that they could so that they could pay for uh for the Sistine Chapel to be mm. uh to be built and uh even like one of the 95 theses martin luther said so pope why don't you pour some of your own money into it
3: Hmm. Mm. Mm -hmm.
1: And so it it really taints the beauty. It really, really taints the beauty of, of that, that, and kind of, um, having a better understanding of second commandment violations that also really taints the (laughs) beauty, but, um, but yeah, so, uh, that's, you know, finding what, what is true beauty, what is not true beauty, that could be a lifelong pursuit. It really could. I don't have the, I don't have every answer. Uh, I would say that I know it when I see it, but I, I, I'm also easily duped because I'm human. Um, but I think that we can all agree that there is a standard of beauty, that God is that standard of beauty and that we must, uh, when we are trying to make something beautiful, we need to strive for that standard of beauty, especially as Christians, non-Christians aren't, going to st- uh, strive for that standard of beauty because they don't believe it's the standard of beauty but thanks to common grace in general revelation, um, they sometimes can't es- they can't escape it
4: right like, it's like you said like talking about common grace um, you know the atheists they, they have no standard of which to call something beautiful or not we're just all fizzing bags of chemicals you know just waiting to see yeah. what happens but yeah that's, that's a great point.
1: What is it the, the, uh, the atheist uh, statement is? Uh, there is no God and I hate him. Yeah, that, that's about right. Um, the last so, yes, it absolutely is. Um, so I'm going to jump into accessibility. And uh, I'm also going to remind you that this is very much my opinion. Um, all of this from here on, it's my opinion on things. I have some, uh, scriptural arguments for these, but these are uh, probably my weakest of all of my scriptural arguments because this is, this is my opinion. Um, that's what I believe, but it's my opinion. So accessibility, uh, true beauty must be understood by all who have eyes to see or ears to hear, uh, like truth or knowledge. There is no such thing as secret beauty. This isn't to say that beauty must be watered down or, uh, or hold our hands, uh, to understand it. Um, and that fits more with popularity. So popularity tends to be watered down, tends to hold our hands to help us to understand it.
3: Kind of Um,
2: like, uh, some prosperity preacher.
1: Yes. Like all of them. (laughs) Um, um, there is such a thing as higher art or, you know, deeper art that requires a prerequisite knowledge to understand fully. But even then, if it if it's done well, the, the true beauty is transcendent and shines through even if the viewer doesn't fully understand the meaning. And so you might get, you know, a more postmodern art piece that you don't get right away because it's referencing something else, or you might get... You know, I think, like, there are a lot of Vincent Van Gogh paintings that were inspired by, you know, his, by the paintings that, that he saw. And if you are aware of those paintings and you can see that influence in him, but but you don't have to know that to understand that his works are beautiful. Um, and, and so I think that that is kind of where that, um, the transcendence, you know, it, it shines through. Um, In the scriptures, there's a plethora of descriptions and and prescriptions to sing in the assembly or in the full congregation. Um, And to me, in order for a song to be sung in the full congregation, it must be accessible to the full congregation. I've got a list of several passages from the Psalms. I'm just going to read them real quick. Uh, Psalm 22, 22. Uh, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. In thirty-five eighteen, it says, "I will thank you in the great congregation, in the mighty throng. I will praise you." In sixty-eight twenty-six, it says, "Bless God and the great congregation, the Lord, O you who are of Israel's fountain." In one hundred seven thirty-two, it says, "Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders." And then in uh, Psalm one eleven one, it says. Praise the Lord, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. So obviously I did a word search for congregation and just pulled a bunch. Um, but that's, that's...
2: That's how you should do your Bible study, I think.
1: That is, yeah. That's that's the best way. Um, yeah, and so a lot of those... 22, uh, 35, especially, uh, cause I read the whole thing just a little while ago. Um, those are laments. Uh, I mean, Psalm 35 that I just read, it's, it's all like, it's, it's a dark, it's a dark Psalm about everyone's after me. You know, they're making these, these traps for me and I hope that they fall into them. You know, they're making these pits, but I hope that they fall into them. And then in the middle, you know, I will thank you in the, in the great congregation and the mighty throng I will praise you. Um, The people in that time that are listening to those, they understood the meaning fully of what was going on. Uh, Today, we have to do a little bit of research to understand that time period and tactics of warfare to be able to fully understand what is being said. But we can still see that beauty. We can still see it because um, it is timeless. Um, But we can understand it more deeply. And we can see the beauty even more when we do that, that kind of research into it. But um, the point that I'm trying to make is that these songs were sung in the great congregation. And so in order to be sung in the great congregation, it needs to, um, it needs to have been understood by, by the people. Otherwise, they don't know what they're singing. Um, and I would argue that there's a lot of songs today that when I'm listening to them, I don't understand what they're saying. But yeah, everyone around me is trying to sing them.
3: But, well, back in the day when I was at those churches. Now, nowadays, not so much. But um, yeah, it's
1: I think in order to be truly beautiful, it needs to be easily understood, uh, at least in in part. Uh,
2: So something you did say with regard to accessibility, um, maybe you can comment on this. But just the key, and I think we've talked about this before but the key you sing it in has to be something and the range that Mm -hmm. you sing it in has to be something that's accessible by an audience. I mean, you're not there to show off your voice. We kind of covered that with the whole thing,
1: but yeah. And we'll get into that in a future episode, especially in the, in the musical composition uh, episode, which will probably be the last one of this season. We'll, we'll get into that uh, about the singability. But it, it is true. Um, the the key you sing it in absolutely matters. Um, but that also ties much more with type one specific music. the the key you sing it in absolutely matters, uh, especially when you're talking about type one music. Uh, and and we will, as I mentioned, we'll we'll get into that in in a, an episode later in this season. Um, but that. That absolutely is part of the accessibility um, when you're talking with about type 1 music. Uh, and even, that's us say, to a degree, type 2 music. Um, but if you can hit the high notes and you're just doing something for entertainment, go ahead and hit the high notes. Uh, you don't necessarily have to be singing for people to sing along with you mm-hmm. uh, in order for it to, to still achieve that, that beauty. And mm-hmm. um, yeah. And I think that people, I I would say that when someone hears you hitting a high note, and even if they're trying to sing along and they can't hear it, then that will tell them uh, that it takes great skill to hit that note. And that may even in effect, um, shine the beauty even more. Uh, You know, when, when you hear something that, you know, that you can't perform, that you can't of emulate you can hear kind of the uniqueness of it and that kind of plays into that that beauty aspect and i think that, that is actually part of the accessibility when i know when i can say oh wow that is that is really beautiful because of this or that um yeah you know, that's what i kind of mean by the accessibility not necessarily the copyability um but the the understandability of what it is
2: that makes sense it shouldn't be like so deeply i don't know like esoteric that you can't, Yeah, the average church can't understand it.
1: Right. Especially for type one music for type one music. Um, and, and I say that that's even, it's even trickier to really fully grab, like do something that's, that is objectively beautiful for type one music um, because it's meant for congregational singing. And that, that is a very different thing. So for type two music, I, where you are really writing, uh, even type three, I'd say for type three especially, um, you can write something that is very, very, very beautiful. Something that isn't necessarily meant to be uh, emulated, but that something is just supposed to um, to really highlight the singer's voice and uh, and their and their
3: talent. Uh, I think you can you can you can get some really interesting things.
2: Absolutely, yeah. Uh, Which is, not to belabor the point, but that is one reason that worship leaders, whoever is leading the worship, uh, whatever you call them at your church, but occasionally will take the time to maybe explain, like if you're singing a psalm, for instance, take the time, hey, we're singing this psalm and you're going to wonder why it's talking about breaking out the teeth of the wicked, you know, (laughs) or something similar, right? Uh, and using those uh, moments as helping people understand what the text is, especially if it's a deeper theological concept, uh, giving them mm-hmm. some basis to uh, understand and to sing. And I yeah. know you're at the other end of the pool, like the shallow end, with regards <laughs> to like what are the what weapons, melodies, what. Um, but uh, I think it applies at the other end too. Um, just helping yeah. helping the congregation to understand deeper theological
1: truths. Yeah, I've definitely taken time to explain um, what an Ebenezer is and what a bulwark is, um, and, I th- and I feel that, that's, that that helps. By the way, an Ebenezer is a Scrooge.
2: Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, Razor
1: Scrooge? Razor Scrooge. <laughs> it's a song about tithing, isn't it? <laughs> oh, man. Too bad we don't, too bad we don't name our episodes on random stuff that we say in the episode because Razor Scrooge would absolutely <laughs> be the title of this episode. Anyway, hey, anyway, um, so let's move on to, uh, memorability, uh, true beauty, uh, will leave a lasting impression. And that again, it's my opinion. Um, this has been the case in my own personal experience. But I do believe that if something is forgettable, then it didn't capture the heart, the soul, the mind, or the strength of the viewer. True beauty, like truth, forces you to deal with it and either accept it or reject it. Regardless, you will remember it. Um, I, and I can't make a great argument from uh, from prescriptive uh, from prescriptive passages in the scripture. But there is a great deal of narrative all throughout where people recall from memory their experiences with God, truth, and beauty. The people regularly uh, committed the psalms to memory. And tradition tells us that many particular psalms were sung from memory, especially during the Passover week and the journey leading up to it. Uh, And we do have scripture that suggests suggest to us that we commit scripture to memory psalm uh, one nineteen eleven is a really good one um I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against god uh but this isn't the same thing as committing beauty to memory however there is an argument to say that scripture is beautiful and committing it to memory is beneficial and those two truth statements they're not entirely related but they're not entirely unrelated either uh it's a stretch i admit but I, I think there's at least there's something there. Um, and you know, I mentioned earlier, you know, that, uh, there was that, uh, that Jay Lim's song, Psalm 151 and I listened to it and when it was done, I couldn't, I couldn't tell you anything about it other than how it made me feel. But, um, you know, it was, it's weird. You'll, you'll listen to a song you'll be like, I just, I don't remember any of that. Or you'll go to a movie. Like, I remember going and seeing um, The Last Airbender, like the actual movie, the M. Night Shyamalan one. And I remember thinking at the end of it, I don't remember any of the characters' names. Like, the movie was just so poorly done. It's like, I, I know I've seen the show, but it's been a while. And I just, I'm walking away with this movie. I don't remember any of the characters' names other than Aang. But um, it's, that's a mark that it was done poorly. It was a mark that it did not achieve the actual beauty. If you, if it, if you can't even remember it when it's, when it's over. Um, no, I would, can I would we call say this that the, the
2: airbender principle, then
1: the airbender principle, we can. Um, I would say that the, the obvious exception to this rule is when, uh, is when Lucy was reading the the book of incantations in, uh, in The Void of the Dawn Treader, and she read the story oh. that was the most beautiful story that she'd ever read in her life, but then the magic at the end of it made her forget all of it, but that she knows that one day Aslan will retell the story to her and that she will enjoy it again. But that's that's neither here nor there.
2: So the airbender principle. And, the airbender
1: principle, yes. We'll stick it up there with the, uh, with the Kins Rule. The Kins Rule love it, um yes, and uh I would say, as well, um the other end of the spectrum, an earworm does not count. I'm not talking about earworms, earworms are annoying um, that's when things are so hyper popularity driven that the that the um, the just can't even come up with a great enough word to explain it, but when it's just so simply done that it gets stuck in your head and there's no way around it and you have to have it surgically removed at the end of VBS week.
2: Sounds awfully specific.
1: Yeah, it was a Babylon Bee article.
2: Oh, that's right. Yeah. Uh, That's right. I do remember that one. I was just thinking uh, VBS is coming up here, so.
1: (laughs) You're (laughs) right. That it is. That it is. Um, brace yourselves. Sounds like I'm you never have an
2: emotional connection to that.
1: I've never even, never even seen that show. Just, just so that everyone knows. I've never seen the show. I just know Brace yourselves and there'll be dragons. That's all I know.
2: What's, what is that? Is that a, from a show?
1: Game of Thrones.
2: Oh, it is. Okay. Got, but as the bra- would say.
1: But, yeah, but the I know that there's the meme where Boromir is standing with his sword, and he says, brace yourselves. I don't even know his, even know his name in the show. I just call him Boromir. Oh, um,
2: Boromir. Oh, so you don't mean from Lord of the Rings. You mean from Game of Thrones. I mean you, from
1: Game of Thrones. Yeah, Sean Bean. Well,
2: I'm way out of my league here, uh, gents, I, I Yeah, I don't know much about that.
1: Yeah. Anyway, before we get into a conversation about Game of Thrones, let's talk about an appropriate emotional connection. Okay. Um, so I almost decided to just do an episode straight on this one, but that would require me to do more research than I really want to do. So I decided, eh, um, we'll probably talk about it in future episodes to come. And I'm sure that if you have any th- questions to add, you should email us at at com after you have already left us a five-star review. And And uh entered into our giveaway. Wink wink. But uh this is this is uh a conversation that um there was a Slack member, uh Josh Payne that actually first kind of brought this to my attention that my questionnaire didn't mention anything about emotional connection. This was a while ago, like a year ago or so. Yeah. Um and I thought I will put this in there and I will think about it and I will come up with something later. And I, I don't, I still don't have enough. I know I don't have enough, but we'll, we'll talk about what I do have. Um, and we, we also talked about emotion a little bit during like the Psalm model episodes, uh, specifically how the praise and lament Psalms stimulated different sets of emotions. And also that all emotions are good. Um, and, you know, emotions are given to us and we are to come to God with our emotions. Um, and one thing to keep in mind about the Psalms in particular is that they were written as expressions of emotions felt by the Psalmist. And, uh, and as genuine expressions of emotion, we can empathize and respond emotionally. Um, I think that uh, that Jim, our, our conversation with Jim that we had, uh, we talked a lot about it on that episode, but uh, where the Psalms are the window into our emotions. I don't remember exactly how he put it, but, um,
2: well, the souls are the anatomy of the soul, the we anatomy
1: of the soul. That the, was, yeah, it's that Calvin, was Calvin.
2: John Calvin's. Uh, yes. He's in the front of,
1: his, I almost uh, said the window into our soul. And I was like, I know it's not the window into our soul, <laughs> the anatomy of the soul. Yeah. And, and I think that a lot of that has to do with the emotional connection. And, um, and I say that true beauty, it's an expression of felt emotion and that the viewer with eyes to see and ears to hear can feel the same emotion appropriately. Um, I'd say in contrast, there are a lot of songs today that are written, um, they're written in a way that they manipulate the emotions. So the intention of the song is to, uh, is to garner an emotional response. So the song that wasn't necessarily written as an expression of emotion, but it was written specifically to make whoever's listening to it feel a certain way. Um, instead of being an expression of genuine emotion, the songs are written sentimentally to force the emotions on the listener. Uh, this can be especially dangerous with type one music because it tricks people to believe that worship is an emotional state and that when you feel certain emotions, you are worshiping. Now show of hands, how many people have been in a church that tried to manipulate your emotions into worshiping God? It's all three of us, by the way. And probably four of us, if you are raising your hand as well, listener. Um, probably, hopefully more than that. Hopefully we have more than one listener that's, that's raising their hand. <laughs> Is this a we're all raising our one hand. Listener. <laughs> yes. We're all raising our hands right there's, now. Just, there's just dozens
2: of us. Dozens.
1: Dozens. Anyway. Yeah. So we're all, we're all in the same boat. We've been there. We've seen it happen. Uh, who, who of us? Show of hands. Has heard the song "Christmas Shoes." Mm, That sounds kind of familiar. It's.
3: And how many of you?
1: How many of you felt that they were trying to manipulate your emotions? Whether did it successfully or not, they 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 might have had an adverse reaction where you were just frustrated with the song because you know that you know there's an article that someone wrote several years ago about how to avoid listening to. Christmas shoes. If you're in the car and you hear it coming on, open the door tuck with your shoulder.
3: Um,
1: <laughs> yeah. It's just, the song is, it is sentimental garbage that mm-hmm. is, that is specifically written to make you cry. Uh, lots of songs are out there that are doing that. And, um, and it's, it's not how it's supposed to be done. Th- those aren't beautiful. Those are garbage. Um, God has given us the gift of coming to him with our emotions. If we are joyous, we can praise. If we are devastated, we can lament. All of this is good. And scripture guides us in our emotional journeys. You know, we, we are not supposed to, um, we're not supposed to manipulate the emotions and, you know, you can manipulate emotions in just how you are playing the music as well. You get louder, people feel better. You get quieter and softer. People become more reflective and it's not, that's not how it should be. Um, I think that there are ways you can utilize uh, music and how you're playing to, for better prosody. We'll get, that, we'll get to that in a future episode as well. If the, if the song is an expression of a certain emotion, then you can change the way you're playing it to reflect the emotion so that you can better, uh, so you can better connect with the song in a very positive and an appropriate way. But um, again, that's going to be uh, prosody. I feel that like Grant's going to drop some knowledge on us.
2: Well, so we talked at the at the top of the podcast about Jonathan Edwards, um, mm-hmm. and he wrote a book called um, "The Religious Affections," and number yeah. one in there, like it's no he says, it is no sign one way or the other that religious affections are very great or raised very high. So just because your emotions are like, whoa, you know, kind of like up there, Mm. doesn't mean that you're somehow closer to God (laughs) because of that. Uh, And just because your emotions are, you're like really low uh, or you're really sad, like maybe you're, maybe, you know, somebody, you know, uh, something horrible happened to them. Uh, or something horrible is happening to you, and you're not feeling like leaping for joy. Um, but that doesn't mean that you're further away from God or closer to God, for that matter. Um, and and in fact, the 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 scriptures he he points out a couple of points where we're actually said to have um, where Christians are said to have emotions and and, and some expression. And I just wanted to point out a few of those. Uh, Matthew mm-hmm. 5, 12 says, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Um, so, again, we are to rejoice and be glad. You know? Mm-hmm. Uh, there There is an element of joy there. We shouldn't just be, um, you know, sort of bumps on a log, mm-hmm. trying to emotionally distance ourselves from everything. Uh, but the... Uh, points to Psalm 68 verse three, but the righteous shall be glad. They shall exult before God. They shall be jubilant with joy. And Luke 6, 23 rejoice in that day and leap for joy, but behold, for behold, your reward is great in heaven for so their fathers did to the prophets.
1: Yeah. Rejoice in the Lord. Always. Again, I say rejoice.
2: He might, you might've had that one in there too. Maybe I just haven't gotten to it, but <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, and you know, you look in Psalm 119, which is one long mm-hmm. thing about how much David loves the law of the Lord. Yeah. So just some food for thought, I guess, uh, as we Absolutely. About emotions. And I know, I know you said we're going to get into this deeper in a later podcast episode. So that'll be good. Um, it'll be good to kind of, Um, give it the attention it deserves. You know, I was, I talked earlier about my dad being here. This is another thing that we actually talked about um, uh, in the last few days is uh, the role of emotion in worship. What is that? And he kind of pointed to an old um, crusade for Christ. Uh, No, that's, that's not it. I believe it's one of those, not inter but the other one crew they're called now, I believe anyway.
1: Oh yeah. The campus crusade for Christ. Yep.
2: Thank you. Thank you. And they had an old kind of uh, illustration that they sort of used with that. And they had a picture of a train, like a locomotive, like a steam engine, you know, locomotive with a coal car and then a caboose. And they were labeled faith, uh, truth, and emotions. And emotions is the caboose. Just to jump to the end, you know, it should never be driving the train. It should, it, you know, it is not what is powering your um, your your journey, right? Like uh, that—that's faith, uh, which is fueled by truth, and it's pulling the emotions. So, uh, my dad had a great illustration. Like he was like, just like any marriage is not emotionless uh our worship shouldn't necessarily be emotionless but our emotions should not be driving our faith or you know our or what we believe is true
1: yeah the goal the goal is to express your emotion in the writing however whatever emotions that that triggers in your listeners that's kind of on them um you know, we, we want to express our emotion in our, in our beauty and in our, in our art. You know, we want to show the beauty of our emotion. Um, we don't want to manipulate the emotion on, uh, on other people. Um, so some, some key points that I want to just kind of go over real quick. Uh, accessibility, it's not the same thing as being watered down. It, needs, uh, it still needs to push for growth. So it's it doesn't need to just kind of meet you where you are. It needs to probably kind of walk you along the way, but not hold your hand along the way. Um, memorability is not the same as easily getting stuck in your head. It needs, uh, needs to make a lasting positive, albeit not necessarily happy, impact uh, without being annoying. Um, and finally, let's uh, kind of give some final thoughts. How does this trickle out to type two through four music? So we can see in type one music that um, how these are important, but how is accessibility important in say type four music? Do we really need to, to see it? Like, do we, does it need to be accessible or can we just like postmodern music? Like you're talking about Um, if it's so far avant-garde out there, you know, how can it still be beautiful? And I'm going to ask you that grant.
2: You may ask me that. Uh, Now, again, to clarify, this is, does not mean that I think we should switch to all (laughs) avant-garde music in church. This isn't really. This is type four. Right.
4: Uh,
2: Yeah. I mean, this is music that I enjoy listening to and it's not all like, you know, weird quarter tones and, (laughs) you know, just songs for a broken piano type thing. It's, what is, um, I, I think part of it, part of the appeal is, and you alluded to this earlier, is uh, trying to make some sense of it. And it's a puzzle to the reader. And uh, Brad Beienhoff, uh, faithful listener, and I kind of talked a little bit about this. I think it was on the public channel in, um, in Slack. Can't remember exactly, but yeah, I think it was. And it, what I realized is that it's not all kind of that weird, strange, esoteric mu- uh, music. Some of it is quite beautiful, but it's always a challenge. It's always um, something to kind of like look for. Now, how does it, how does what we were talking about here trickle down to those types of things and apply? Uh, beauty there well it's it can be quite memorable <laughs> some of yeah. it you know i would say that there is um the accessibility barrier is maybe a little bit higher of course we're, we're talking primarily words without music um sorry <laughs> that's a book um we we're, we're talking about music without words um so the accessibility in the sense that we kind of define it doesn't really necessarily apply here yeah uh, but objective beauty, I I feel like there is something there because not everything beautiful is clean and wonderful. Um, yeah. You think about, okay, so I was actually kind of thinking about this last night. One of the videos that I put in the uh, family YouTube night that we do was mm-hmm. this painter, and he was painting a picture of this path with these puddles on it, you know, like kind of hyper realistic art, that type of thing. Uh, And something I noticed is this is all dirt and grime and leaves and, you know, just litter (laughs) essentially, but yet it was beautiful. And I, I think that begins to get at, the beauty that I personally see in more avant-garde music, you know, and it's that, that litter, the found melodies almost that, um, and then expertly executed uh, throughout the song that bring the beauty to the piece um, in a, in a way that maybe even a, um, not even like a you know 21st century 20th century piece of art would you know like some cubism you know yeah. or something like that. But in even in just something as uh, basic as a landscape uh, it has some very unbeautiful parts uh, when you take it apart. But looked at yeah. a whole, uh, there is beauty there.
3: Yeah.
1: And uh, I think we'll probably get more into this when we talk about craft and the the skill it takes to to make music that kind of train it, like that goes above the normal accessibility barrier. Um, I think that personally, and this may be, and I fully admit this may be putting a box around it too much, but I think that even on the weirder, more avant garde stuff, you f- you can still see the object of beauty that that. Transcends.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, if you listen to it, I, I think that if there's something that if you listen to it, you instinctively pick up nothing beautiful from it. You you understand nothing from it. That that's probably too avant garde. But I think generally speaking, everyone should be able to pick out something. Maybe not all of it,
3: but
1: mm-hmm. something. Mm-hmm. Um, I. I also like puzzles and so I like the idea of having to solve the puzzle to see the true, uh, to right. see the, the full beauty. You can still see the true beauty, but to see the full beauty.
2: Yeah. And I will say, you know, these are songs that I don't often play while I'm working because it makes me think about it, them too much. It demands yeah. too much of my thought processes. So, <laughs> and anyway, I I did listen to uh, a a few avant garde pieces um, just this week in basically in discussion with Brad, like, hey, what kinds of things? Because it's one of those areas of music I don't listen to all that often, to tell you the truth. But um, I do feel like I want to defend it a little bit um, just because it often gets a bad rap.
3: Yeah.
1: And uh, so, Justin, do you have any, any input, any final say?
4: Well, I do have a a pretty good quote that I I thought of that comes from someone that I've mentioned probably on every episode, Uh, but it's from John MacArthur, and uh, the quote is, Music in the church ought to be much more than an emotional stimulant. In fact, this means music and preaching should have the same aim, both properly pertain to the proclamation of God's word. And then just skip on through his quote a little bit. Therefore, the songwriter ought to be skilled in Scripture and as concerned for theological precision as the preacher, even more so because the songs he writes are likely to be sung again and again. Well, that's good, guys. We have we
1: finished another episode, and so I just want to close by saying, Rejoice, the Lord is King. Your Lord and King, adore. Rejoice give thanks and sing and triumph evermore lift up your heart lift up your voice rejoice again i say rejoice
0: there is a bone in to make the wound
2: Thank you for listening to the balming gilead podcast we love hearing from you so email us at thereis@balmcast.com. at balmcast.com we are a part of the tech reformation family of podcasts and you can discuss our show and much more at slack.techreformation.com we'll see you there if you enjoyed the balming gilead podcast please encourage others to listen we value your feedback so rate, review, and recommend the show in your podcast app of choice. And with that, we'll see you next time on the Balm in Gilead podcast. I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay, I mean we had all but, this it could, but,
1: but we could but we could do it that easy. Just know, just know, <laughs> it's that easy.